So wait, this is this is your guys' like first episode? This is our first episode yeah. ever. <laughs> wow. Welcome everybody to the very first episode of Signal Process presented by Program Change, the podcast where we learn about making music with some of our favorite musicians. I'm Daniel. Oh, and I'm 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 Chandler. And for our first episode, we have a conversation with producer, beatmaker, composer, and former filmmaker, Ten Four Raj. An in-demand producer with a sound indebted to classic psychedelia, R&B, and soul, Raj has lended his talents to cuts from the likes of The Satisfaction, Live, Demay, Khan, and many, many more. His latest project is Figmore, the band comprised of himself and New York City-based vocalist Juicebox, with an album out now on Fresh Selects Records titled Jumbo Street. Raj begins our conversation with a discussion of how the lockdowns of last year closed some opportunities for him while opening up new ones. While that was happening, I had to kind of scramble to, you know, get work done. He then gets into some of the creative inspirations behind Figmore. He, he was telling me a lot about how he and his dad, like, loved Steely Dan. And towards the end, Raj divulges some valuable insight into his tools and techniques as a producer. And I basically use my laptop as a sound module and I feed the outs of that mm. to the ends of my desktop. I really hope you enjoy our conversation with 104 Raj. To begin, here's Raj explaining a little bit about how his life got twist turned upside down this time last I mean, year. Shoot, it was it was it was it was tough first off. I mean, let's see, that the week the week that the NBA made that announcement, I think that's where I first heard it was the NBA saying, All right, um, Rudy Gobert um, mm-hmm. got sick, so we're quarantining, we're shutting the league down. It's like that's when shit got real, right? Yeah, yeah. And then I remember Disneyland shut down right after that. And then um, a couple days later, uh, both my jobs um, shut down as well. I got let go from both of those. So, I, I mean, I had to find a way to <laughs> adjust. I mean, of course, I, you know, it took me a, a minute to, like, get on unemployment and all that. Mm-hmm. And um, thankfully, it happened. Um, but while that was happening, I had to kind of scramble to, you know, get work done Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I turned to was just kind of reaching out to folks uh, for mixing and mastering, things like that. I normally don't do it. Um, I usually do it to, you know, for, for, for friends and things like that. Um, but I kind of made a concerted effort to do that and also work on finding different ways to, um, I guess, apply my skills. So rather than just work on records, I was, I was scoring for like just experimental short works and things like that things things that were like i signed up for a bunch of grants and things like that thankfully i was able to make you know a couple of those so just kind of just stretching my limits doing doing everything I could to to sort of you know make it as a working music professional so to speak without you know without having other jobs to anchor me that's amazing i didn't know you were doing scoring can you speak a little bit on that i think for, for like the specific project that i was doing it, 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 it was it was for a friend who yeah ha- had a little bit of a budget for an experimental short that she was working on um, in oakland and basically that film i think i think she's still like finishing the cut just had, had it was an uh kind of an experimental like documentary interviewing people that that, that are residents residents of the city as as it experienced you know, change the changes of gentrification and so forth. Right, right. And I was I was tapped to put together something like based on a lot of impressions that that she was shooting, and also a lot of these interviews that weren't quite put together yet. But as things start to roll in, then I would sort of receive those things and start making cues, like really, really short, thirty-second things that were almost like non sequiturs 
I, I, I didn't really um, have anything in mind about uh, the logic or how it would, how things would unfold narratively. Mm -hmm. But uh, being that it was a collaboration, she sort of pick and chose uh, which things to latch onto. And then it developed from there, you know, her saying, okay, I like this. Can we develop this? Can you layer this with something else? It's kind of lacking. And so just based on her feedback, it would kind of unroll that way. That's pretty crazy. And different from, you know, most stories I've heard from a, a film composer relationship with the filmmaker, usually the film's done and then they kind of bring in the person that scored at the last minute. It sounds like you were involved throughout the process of the filmmaking and editing as well. Absolutely. I mean, there was one point where she did say, all right, I think there's not going to be a need for you at this point. But it was definitely, it wasn't like a lock to picture thing where, yeah, like you said, I, I wasn't presented right. with a with a thing that wasn't, there wasn't going to be any more um, revisions or anything like that. I was, I was definitely there for, before um, even a first cut occurred. So um, yeah, she, she involved me when, when she was in pre-production, so to speak. That's crazy. About how long did you spend on this project? Several, I mean, well, no, more than several months. I mean, she, she came to me with the idea, like probably not, not long before quarantine began. It was like February of 2020. Word, word. Um, so, you know, all we had was like a shared Google doc and, and, and some, some photos and, and, and a couple interviews. And then um, I started to kind of get rolling with it around like the summertime. And I probably submitted like my last thing to her probably October. And then I didn't hear from her for, for a minute. Then she showed me like what, what I, what I believe to be is like close to a final cut, like just a couple months ago. Yeah. Not, not, not yet to be released, but definitely, definitely something that was instructive for me and a lot of fun to work on. That's dope. I can't wait to hear it. Is this um, your first scoring project? I would say no. I mean, I guess one, one thing you probably should know about me is that I um, actually went to like grad school for film. Oh, word. Um, uh, so I got my master's at SF State uh, when I was um, kind of working around there. I, I did like a lot of that stuff on my own. If I was collaborating with folks, it wasn't with this skill set of like making music and things. Mm -hmm. But if I was working on assignments and things, I was really scoring my own stuff. That's amazing. It's interesting to me how much overlap there is between the filmmaking mind and the musician mind. It's funny, actually. Similarly, I, I majored in uh, multimedia production at Cal State Northridge only because I didn't want to go to SF State. And so <laughs> uh, there's a parallel universe where you and I probably had classes together. Oh, man, straight up. I mean, I'm, I'm curious because like, you know, as someone who also studied film, but also had this passion for music, like I saw the overlap, uh, but like it, it also at least for me, kept me slightly detached from the film world. Um, and like, I'm wondering, like, did you feel sort of at home uh, in this group of film nerds? Uh, were you able to sort of live in both worlds? That's an excellent question. In, in terms of like the, the, what do you call it? The, the graduate experience, I definitely was a, like an in it, but not of it type of person. I mean, I, I definitely made friends um, in my cohort that I, that I keep in contact with uh, with to this day and, and even people from other classes and things like that. But, um, in, in terms of like feeling at home, I mean, like right now my practice and, and like my work isn't in film at all, really. Like I'm not, I'm not, you know, using a camera, I'm not really editing in premiere and things like that. Um, and, and yeah, I, I think I did sort of struggle with the fact that like, while I was in school, 
I, I think in terms of my artistic identity, I was still kind of pulled towards making music. Like that's what I was spending a lot of my time on while everyone else was kind of watching movies, yeah. discussing movies, getting together, um, you know, holding events based around uh, the act and the enjoyment of, of, of movie making. And I wasn't really um, inserting myself in those spaces. So to answer your question, yeah, um, I, I didn't quite feel at home. And I think it was because of these, these instincts to, to keep on making music. What was your sort of bread and butter growing up? Or did you have a bread and butter? Were you all over the place? I'm just kind of curious, like, as far as your musical background, your preferences, like, where were you coming from? For a long time, I was into, like, just, just uh, rap and hip-hop music and the history of it. But then a couple years later, as I started to get into, like, production on a computer, um, I started to to um, just listen to music, like, kind of as a fan, kind of investigating the history of it to, to see what, what, like, well, this, you know, a lot of hip-hop music is, is sample-based. It doesn't just mm -hmm. come from nowhere. And so a, a lot of it branched off, especially, like, in high school, into sample-based stuff like soul records, classic rock even, jazz, just anything in which hip-hop took it as a source. I was, mm -hmm. I was gravitating to it. So, I mean, uh, do you incorporate a lot of field recording in your work? Because I, I hear a lot of traces of it around. And like, speaking of which, soda water. Is that really soda water? <laughs> no, no, not at all. That's, um, that, I, I don't remember the patch. I mean, let me just say now that okay. I'm an I'm a unabashed like preset surfer. Nice. But I, I, like to, I like to tweak. Um, I think that came from Yuhi's Diva. So no way. Yeah. No. I, I don't know if it's, it's like in the stock pack or if it's from something that I bought. Oh, but, well, Yuhi's Diva can sound a whole lot like a bong rip. <laughs> <laughs> Man, for sure. Oh, yeah, it was, it was the plug-in. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. I mean, I guess to answer your first question, um, not, not too much, but increasingly so over the years. I mean, yeah. especially like with, with Figmore stuff in terms of field recording, like I think uh, my partner in that group, Juice Box, the, 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 the singer-songwriter, um, like he, he was one that would say, yo, I got this recording of some birds and me like, um, jangling my keys to open, open the door. You want to use that for the song home? Um, and I'd say, yeah. And so we do that. And I was like, oh shoot, this is, this is probably what I went to school for. And I'm not applying <laughs> it till you told me. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think I didn't really appreciate the value of field recording until I ran into a Foley sample I couldn't find online. And then I realized I was sitting like, you know, a foot away from the object that made the sound I wanted. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, I feel like that almost more than learning an instrument, I'd say like built the biggest confidence in me as like a DIY music maker, like just knowing like, Oh, I can just record something directly around me. Like, you know, be it dubbing a tape on a boom box or eventually in a DAW. So like, you know, just realizing I, I could sort of capture sound around me was a big moment. Yeah. Do you, do you remember those first moments for you where, you know, just, you kind of got to, discover the magic of it recording yeah it yeah i was just i mean i felt like I, I had this conversation with my girlfriend at least in the last few months and i used to tell her that like when i was a kid i was fascinated with my brothers um we had like a cd tape player combo and on that you could actually dub from cds onto the tape like this is probably when i was like in middle school i would take different sections, mostly like spoken sections, and I would kind of form like phrases and things like that to, to make mixtapes. So I would take from different interludes and kind of just do like pause tape type stuff. 
and sample that onto the tape and make these little interludes based off other people's skits and stuff to form That's sentences. Crazy. And so then, and then yeah. like, then, then launch into a song that wasn't mine. So it was like that, that kind of, that bit of piecing together that even before like DAW production, I was already kind of fascinated with, was, was using that, that CD um, tape player combo. That's amazing. I want to get into the new project. Um, tell me about how you met Juicebox, how you guys first linked okay. up and started making music together. For sure. Um, I mean, well, Figmore wouldn't happen. Um, it wouldn't be possible without um, Juicebox's uh, childhood friend, Wes Wax. Um, so Wes Wax is another um, New York-based producer. They grew up in, in New York or in and around um, uh, the state of New York together. And Wes Wax moved out here um, probably the end of 2018. So initially he and I were, we became uh, pretty fast friends. We we're just making music a lot together in each other's uh, apartments. And I think about six months later, uh, Wes is like, I want you to meet one of my friends. He's like very, uh, very close friend of mine. So I think like one, one night um, we hung out here in my apartment and we were just listening to a lot of records, mm -hmm. um, kind of sharing what we liked, um, just talking about like our, like our musical memories, kind of like you guys are asking me, like having those conversations. And um, I think probably a couple weeks later, he just hit me up and was like, yo, um, if you want to work on like a song together, I'd love to hear anything that you'd have. Cause, um, if you don't know Juicebox, a lot of like he's kind of all over the map and stylistically, like he he raps and he sings. And I told him that night that like uh, a lot of the stuff that I gravitate to is his singing records because he was showing me that stuff, and I was blown away by his voice. Um, and I think from there, our our the first song that we actually um, worked on together was Practice. Mm. So. From there, we recorded and then released an EP. So we started recording that uh, like May of 2019, released it four months later in September. And then we, we were kind of just working on songs like piece by piece and um, also having these discussions about our own influences. And he, and he was telling me a lot about how he and his dad like loved Steely Dan like together, like they'd go to these concerts together and watch them and I was telling him like, yo, like I love, I love like AOR music. Like I, I love listening to, um, you know, Eric Tag or uh, uh, Lee Rittenauer. Mm -hmm. um, a, a lot of these folks that kind of figure into like the, what, what's known as a blue eyed soul movement. Mm -hmm. um, and, and kind of that formed the basis for our like aesthetic approach to, to Figmore just make making yeah. a lot of records that were inspired not not just by them but but um that was kind of the springboard for all the songs that we would make later it's kind of interesting because that aor period was very much like production driven music uh like steely dan didn't tour they were studio cats they did everything off of session players and their wizardry behind the boards so i think that's a cool reference point now because now music is super production driven in my opinion yes the producer has more influence than ever straight up yeah for sure for sure like one one of the things that kind of like <clears throat> grounds me like even though i like bring up those names because like 
when I think of Steely Dan, I do think of like top tier musicianship. And so like, it, it feels 100%. like I feel scared to like, be like, oh yeah, this record is inspired by them because as a producer, I don't know if I consider myself a, a, a musician in, in the traditional sense. Like I, I tell people this all the time, I can't really play a song on the piano from beginning to end without making a mistake, right? I, I can't um, I can't put a solo together uh, without multiple takes. Do you feel like that's partially what attracts you to music production? The, the like the chance to perfect it? Absolutely, for sure, for sure. It, I mean, I always envision like it, it, it's a compliment when people refer to Figmore as a band because I don't like it's not. I mean, we're we're, we're it, it's it, it is a studio project in a way, but I mean, it is complimentary to us that that it evokes kind of bandness or bandship or whatever, whatever that is. Um, be, yeah. Because probably because there's like instruments in it, but all of that is VSTs really save for a few guitars uh, and, and, and of course the trumpet by juice box. Yeah. Um, but, but for sure to, to answer your question, Chandler, like the, the idea of perfecting it, at least on record kind of um, g- giving the illusion of a performance for record is something that that I um, that I really like aspire to get better at. Right. Yeah, that's something that I think about a lot too. Is uh, you know, it, it's kind of hilarious to me how like you know a lot of what these you know uh, third fourth wave smart VSTs are trying to accomplish is imperfection and you know uh be it machine imperfection or human imperfection with things like grooves and you know velocity randomization and so i'm constantly stuck with i'm stuck between exploring the toys that i have at my disposal and sucking it up and doing a second take and so uh yeah is that something that you wrestle with and how do you how do you manage that in the studio oh for sure i mean i like that question it's definitely i think even though i'm I'm not I'm not a person that like that can play like a take from beginning to end. I think still w- when I'm working in MIDI, I should I should open up a bit about my process uh, before I say this. Like I, I work I work between um, a laptop and a desktop, and I basically use my laptop as a sound module, and I feed the outs of that mm. to the ends of my desktop. That way, I don't have any CPU hitting my uh, desktop until I put plugins on it. That's so there's dope. still plugins coming from my nice. from my uh, instruments on my laptop. Huh. Um, so your so desktop I'm, is basically like the mixing board. Exactly, it's it's my arrangement computer. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so so I'm, I'm actually. Has it been this way since the beginning? For the most part. No, no. I, I probably didn't. I mean, it, it it didn't occur until I I purchased the laptop. Right. Um. But I guess. So, so I'm working, I'm working with Reaper as my sound module, uh, DAW and I'm feeding that into Ableton, which is my arrangement DAW. Gotcha. Um, and, um, just to answer your question, I mean, a lot of it has to do because I'm doing this audio based like take system. Now I'm not really messing with MIDI anymore. I have to, I do have to get my takes right. Um, so it, it has kind of forced me to be a better musician in that regard, at least within the, the, um, the loop constraint. <laughs> it's kind of funny. I think a lot of people are making a very similar, you know, transition into like be, almost becoming a musician again because of uh, the explosion of affordable um, hardware 
synthesizer sequencers and so on. Like, you know, a lot more people are having to learn how to do it right in one take. Um, and so are you, but it's still digital. Like, um, you know, like, and I don't, I don't mean that in the pejorative, like, it's kind of interesting. Like you're still using it to solve a, a computer based problem, uh, and getting, you know, what hate this word in this context, but like very organic sounding results. And so, yeah, sure. it's it kind of cool, man. Cause like a lot of the time when I talk to people about their process, like I get a lot of those, Oh, now I get how that song was made moments with you. I'm more confused now, <laughs> you know, having come from like keeping most things in the box, what keeps it interesting for you? I think it has to do with continued study. It, it, it has a lot to do with staying fresh. I mean, of course, there's history, right? Like, like listening to, you know, the, the undiscovered gems of decades past. But it's also staying on top of who's doing cool and interesting things, like right now. Look, looking up to like a lot of younger folks. Looking up to to folks that are only making music on TikTok and the internet and posting it that way. That don't have albums. Using those people as um, real reference points and not being dismissive of them. I mean, it, it's, it's really just keeping your ears open to like where, where music can occur. Um, that, that sort of keeps me uh, fresh, I guess. I think once you get out of the belief that the music industry is only the recorded music industry, it opens up so many more avenues to your creativity and to things that you can be inspired by. So um, how many resamples is too many? <laughs> None, man. I mean, the, yeah, it, there's, it could never be too many. It's, it's, it's only as, as much as, I guess, I guess if, it, if it degrades to a point that, that you're not ultimately happy with it, then that's too many. Okay, good answer. Do you keep a routine around your music making? Like, if, in terms of like a personal, uh, like generative process, I think a lot of it starts with listening. So I think before I'll play anything, I like to hear music first. It could be, it could be my own music but I think a, a lot of the stuff comes from listening to other things, uh, making a point at least once a week to transcribe something, even if it's mm -hmm. a small idea. It doesn't have to be an entire song. And yeah, like spending time both in Ableton and Reaper for different reasons. I mean, I, I'm not like, I'm not that type of like Ableton certified person that can tell you everything that the program does. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I'll, I'll try and make some sort of discovery on there. I'll try to watch a tutorial or I'll, I'll, I'll be up in, in Discord listening to other people that do it better, like, like how they'll approach software. Um, sometimes I'll spend my day or a portion of my day making, making my own presets, making my own stacks. Like in Reaper, that's one of the things I like to do is um, if I'm not shaping presets, I'm combining, I'm combining instruments and then kind of making a folder like, like, like a group in Ableton. And I'll save that as a preset. Um, and that's one of the ways that I kind of, um, come up with different timbres and things. I want to, I don't want to keep you too long, but I do have just a couple of, uh, relevant of questions, rapid fire type shit. Not super oh, sh rapid fire after <laughs> this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was the warm up, man. Um, now I want to know, since I know that you're a software person, um, you, I mean, you're not a software person, you're an actual person, but you know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> best interview ever. <laughs> I want to know, if you could have only one, give me one soft synth, one compressor, okay. one EQ, and one reverb. Soft synth, compressor, <clears throat> EQ, reverb. So, okay, so um, reverb, uh, Valhalla Vintage. Mm. Um, EQ, uh, Sonomous Burnley. 
1073. It's a, it's a, it's a Neve 1073 emulation. Word. Um, compressor, uh, fur comp. Um, that, that's, that, that's a free one. They just released a, like a expanded version, like a, that, that you pay for now. Very, very nice. Nice digital comp, very clean. Um, soft synth? Damn. Hold on. <laughs> I mean, that's like the hardest shit. The other three you had ready to go. I was actually surprised. For sure. I mean, it, it, w w with instruments, though, it's like I'm trying to think of like what can I do everything with? Word. Um, word. Damn. Does contact I mean, count? I, I, I would love, I would love to, to use contact. I mean, that counts. I, I don't, yeah, I, I guess, I guess I would say contact because that affords me a lot. Yeah. Yeah. That counts. Cause well, with other stuff, like, wishing, wishing for more wishes. It's like with other stuff though. It's like, if you pick exactly. any, if you pick serum, you could download a bunch of patches for it or whatever. Like it's, you know, everything is extensible now to some extent. What were you using on the recent project on Figmore? On Figmore, um, let's see. There's a lot of different things. I mean, those chains were kind of unaccounted for, or like just unbridled. <laughs> um, I mean, at that point, I was using RC20 to taste. I don't really use it much anymore. Mm. Um, but that was definitely on my master chain, and I was really uh, putting it towards dry more than anything. I like I liked it for the for for its uh, noise textures. And, and the fact that I could kind of duck them out. Um, what else was I using on there? I mean, yeah, I was, I was using Diva. I was using uh, Repro uh, from, from Yuhi. Um, I was using a bit of uh, their Bucket uh, Brigade Delay uh, color copy. I was using Presswork. That, that was a favorite compressor of mine on the Master. So, like, a lot, a lot of Yuhi stuff. I mean, shoot, like, you'll, you'll hear a bit of Diva and Repro together. I mean, basically, like... Any any bass any bass line that you hear that that you might think is is like a, a live bass is um is uh usually in contact. Yep. Uh, I think I think one of the ones that I use is um ample sound, uh, an ample sound bass. Yuhi's Tyrell, of course, like the, their their free Juno emulation. Um, and yeah, I mean I, I was using a lot of Burnley. Like I I, I really like that as a as a go to character EQ. But I've I've since um yeah it, expanded my options. Uh, just, just in terms of getting different colors and things like that. Signal Process is produced by Program Change, dedicated to inspiring and celebrating the independent music community. That's all the time we have this week, folks. I want to thank my guest, 104 Raj. I want to thank my co-host, Chandler Tipton. And I want to thank you for listening this far. If you want to support the podcast, the best way to do so right now is to leave us a review on Apple Music or iTunes or wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Be sure to also follow us on Instagram at programchange and sign up for a newsletter at programchange.substack.com. Till next time, much love, y'all.